Topo Athletic is committed to lifelong health and better movement. Topo builds running shoes for those who get out there every day regardless of weather, speed, energy, or mood. Their distinctive fit and feel combines instinctive human movement with modern performance and lightweight comfort to help you keep going, keep trying, and keep moving. Discover the Topo difference and step into a run experience unlike any other. Today we are going to be talking to Ohm, who is one of our co-owners, is more of a internal conversation than Um, but we're going to talk to Ohm because he just did something extraordinary. And this is a platform for people that are uh, ordinary people doing the extraordinary thing. And so we're going to talk to him about his extraordinary accomplishments out in Nepal. And uh, just on time, he joined us. Hey, hey Ohm, how are you, man? I'm doing good. It's good to see you again um, on the same day <laughs> because we're always talking business. But um, also, this has to be the smoothest entry we've had into any fireside chat <laughs> because it's just the two of us. Sure, it feels weird to have like to have the uh, interview in it as opposed to just talking business at this point. Yeah, because it's like we're we're like waiting for somebody to enter the chat, but it's like oh, he's here, you know. <laughs> so I, I was just giving the uh, the audience just very brief background on um, talking to you about the. Um, extraordinary accomplishment and how our platform is for the ordinary athlete to talk about their extraordinary accomplishment. And um, honestly, I don't know that we've talked about this. So the first question I have is like, how the hell did this come about? Like, how did you find out about this event? Like, like, I mean, look, we roll social media, but I can guarantee you that running in Nepal and Mount Everest doesn't come up on my feed. So, so how did you? Um, um... Um, so uh, when I was running the Moab 240, there were these two amazing runners from Nepal who were the first two Nepalese runners to finish the race. Uh, yay for representation. Um, and one of them, Govinda, you know, was looking at my feed and he's like, you should do the Everest Marathon next. And I'd heard of this race on like National Geographic and I looked them up and it's like world's highest race, you know. And then, of course, sure enough, because... You know, everybody who does ultras is just people making dumb decisions over and over again. Um, I go and I see the uh, Everest Extreme Ultra, and I'm like, hmm, that's a thing. And then I read all about it, and it's like they're doing the 70K this year because it's the 70th, like the platinum jubilee of um, Tenzing Sherpa and Edmund Hillary's first climb of Mount Everest. And then, I don't know, there's just a feeling in my gut. I'm like, just like with any else I'm like well I'd rather fail big than win small and just you know I just went for it and I'd wanted to go to Nepal since I was a kid so it's like if I can combine that with ultra you know why not I've always been about like just taking things and just figuring it out on the way afterwards and that's usually how it is for me I love it like you know just hey let me just try this out I think that's a really good lesson for those of you that are listening to the podcast or watching it on our YouTube channel, like sometimes you got to say what the fuck and just go for it. Like take the risk, you know, if, if you live in safety forever and that's fine, you cannot expect great things. It's when you step outside and you take a risk, no matter what that risk is, no matter how big or small that risk is to you is when you'll achieve great things and, and accomplishments. So well, it's I, one of our mantras as a business too, right? Fuck it. Yeah, like, it. send it, you know, fuck it. Let's go for it. So 
So you hit register mm -hmm. and now the reality sets in. Like one of the things that always makes me laugh is when people, when it gets to race week and they're like, it's getting real. And I'm like, no, it got real the moment you press register. Like the moment you press register is when it should have gotten real because you got to prepare for it. So you press register. How much time did you have to train before the event? And just give us some idea of what training kind of sort of looked like. Was it any different than the 200 milers or the 240s or the 100 milers that you did? Give us some uh, insight into that. Um, it was radically different in so many ways. But um, even the registration process wasn't just like, oh, you register because they had 60 as I was told, they had 69 applicants and they only selected 19 people. Oh, wow. So this is the first time in my life I've been asked to make a running resume. Like, like, like I've made so many like resumes for applying to jobs and, you know, like Indeed and whatever, and LinkedIn and um, Taylor made so many resumes, but this is the first time somebody's asked me to put together a running profile and it just felt so weird and surreal. And it was like, work experience, you know, Moab 240, like Zion 100, <laughs> Valley of Fire 100. And then they asked me, like, they probed me on, like, if I've done any high altitude races. Actually, the only thing I keep thinking about is you talk about resume, you know, on resumes, you put accomplishments. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, Moab 240 at mile 138 consumed 77 Oreo cookies. Like, like what does that resume look like? <laughs> I guess, I guess for me, it would be consumed Nutella pancake at mile 107 and held it down for, for a couple miles, but we should, <laughs> we should make a res, like, like make a template for a running resume to have people be able to fill it out and just put like some of that kind of stuff on there. Like, like my first 100, I think it was, no, my second 100, I couldn't could eat any food, gels, that kind of stuff. And so I ended up eating um 50 oreo cookies so basically you know one every two miles at each of the aid stations and picking them up because it was the only thing i could consume with the sugar and the carbs and everything else because everything else i just didn't feel right it was uncomfortable so that would be my that would be on my resume adina uh just chimed in with special skills you got that right you know so, yeah, special heck yeah it's so funny that we're like coming up with business ideas while we're having this chat too that's amazing and Adina, if we're talking special skills, I ate mashed potatoes for like 70 to 80 straight miles of Moab because I couldn't eat anything else. And I put salsa in them. So give that a shot. <laughs> so anyway, so you put your running resume together. You, you said, so was the running resume what got you to be one of the 19 or you were 19, one of 19 already and now they asked you for additional insight? So it took me so it took them a month to select me after i sent all that stuff so like three four weeks i was wondering like is this gonna happen like am i gonna do this because there was no response like do they think my resume was like garbage you know <laughs> uh, like am i not worthy of the himalayas um and then i got like the uh and then i got like the selection from the race organizer he whatsapp me and he was like yeah you're in just make sure that you're ready for this because you need lots of navigational skills it's very technical it's December by this point. Um, and I have, just like anything else, I signed up for it. I have no plan whatsoever on what I'm going to do. Just know that I picked something like uh, things that scared me, like altitude, fear of the cold, like frostbite, um, fear, like training in high altitude. Those are all things that like scared the bejesus out of me. So I, um, you know, 
I decided like what better way to train for something like that than to train in one of the highest cities in the US. So I decided to just live in Flagstaff at the onset of like the peak of the winter going into the spring and uh, it was perfect for me. Yeah, and did, do you ran you ran in a race did you run in a race before going to Nepal? Was there an event that um this also helped prepare you for going to Flagstaff? Um so I did so I did four races in training. Um, the first of which we both did together. We did the jackpot ultras, which screw that payment. Um, <laughs> um, you you took a picture of my soul leaving my body in that one. I was saying how much I love Jamil, but I'm never doing that again. I love Jamil too, man. But I told him straight up, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> While we were putting together one of those tents that blew away, this sucks. Um, and and then. I did a bunch of races that had like different pieces of what I needed to do like Antelope Canyon it poured and rained and it was cold the entire time and had lots of like slick rock and sand and like like ladders and all kinds of weird navigational obstacles and then I did um damn good run with you again yep. uh which was hot as heck but it was kind of like my train low race um and then I just capped things off with the uh, whiskey basin and we all the divide um, so you basically put it together after you found out in December, based on the of the event that would help you get to the event then? Yeah, and I'm honest, <laughs> and Cheryl's like, pavement sucks. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, ask this guy. He ran 50 miles on that. Sucks. And, and Cheryl, by the way, I saw the message earlier about mashers. You're 100% correct, but here's the key to one. Get yourself some maple syrup and some mashed potatoes for your next ultra. It will carry you forever. You got quick hitting carbs and the sugar from maple syrup and the long lasting carbs from the potatoes. Trust me, it carried me all throughout uh, Cocodona as well as some other events, a hundred milers that I've done. Put yeah. it on your bucket. Put it on your I need to try that. That yeah. sounds amazing. It's phenomenal. Like it's really phenomenal. Maria at No Limits Endurance Coaching, she was like, dude, that sounds gross. How would you? And I'm like, it's sugar and potatoes. Like you can't go wrong. And then she tried it at her event and she was like, oh my God, it's like the holy grail of perfection. Like you can't, can't go wrong with it. Yeah, you gotta try it, Cheryl. It's, um, it sounds like I, I'm craving it right now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> when I got to Sedona at Cocodona, I was, I was like, do you guys have any potatoes with uh, maple syrup? Because up until that point, I had been eating oatmeal mush. And they were like, no, we, we have these uh, hash browns that are dehydrated, we gotta put water in it first. And I was like, okay, so they put hot water in it and they, they bloom and then we poured some maple syrup in it. I'm telling you, man, it is it is golden. So for your next for your next big event, you at Moab or wherever you're going to next, make sure you, you give it a whirl. That sounds amazing. Um, but yeah, that was basically my training cycle. Just, I'm always, I've always been in the style of like register for something that scares me and then like just figure out the roadmap afterwards and just go with it. And I, I'm also somebody who's very largely unmotivated to do long runs solo. So I love doing training races um, and getting out there and just putting myself in those environments. So for those of you that are listening and or watching this, there is more than one way to skin a cat. Right. So Ohm just said he, he would prefer to do long runs and races because there's company and, and people around in an atmosphere. And for me, I prefer to do long runs on my own. I prefer to and I don't listen to music or podcasts like I just want to go run for a very long time on my own 
without any distraction. So don't think that because you see a person X doing it a certain way that you have to do it that way. Do what's right for you. Do what's best for you. And, and test it out and change it up every now and again. I mean, Om and I went for a long run in Sedona as well. And, and you know, and that was awesome because we got to, to chit chat the entire way and have a good time at it. So it's nice to mix it up too, but do it. It was, uh, it was awesome and awful because uh, we lost the loop. Um, like, like Lori literally said, like if we kept going that way, we would have caught the loop and we went back up. <laughs> we literally turned around at the, at the inflection point that would have kept going, it would have been flat. Instead, we turned around and went straight up that mountain again. So that's what you do. So back to Nepal. So you, you have logistics and training, like you got to figure out where you can train to get to, um, to this event that sort of mimics the course. But now you also have logistics on getting there, right? Like this is not just something really easy to do, hop in a plane and you're there and call it a day. So take us through that process of going through those logistics because stress is stress. You're going to have the physical stress of training and racing, but now you have the mental stress of getting there and hopefully getting there safely, right? Yeah. Uh, um, one of the things I will say about international races is it just – there's so much more logistics involved in doing them. Uh, like, I will tell you that the only, like, I'm usually pretty laid back when it comes to travel and just like go with it. But I will tell you the one thing that I will keep repeating over and over again is like, I don't want to check in my, any bags if I don't need to. Don't want to check in any bags. But, you know, in this case, I had to because I had certain things that I had to check in. Um, but still, I carry 99% of my stuff with me. And the reason for that is because, call it a self-fulfilling prophecy or whatever, but I had a feeling it was going to happen when I did the Jungle Ultra in Peru last year. And sure enough, all my, all my luggage got lost. Um, so I had to go, go out to Cusco, get myself new gear, had to run with gear that I've never used before, and that was a whole experience. It's okay to laugh, right? I can laugh about this. <laughs> oh, you, can, you, can laugh, you can laugh at anything at my expense because this is all just like, um uh what do you call it dumb ultra runner stuff <laughs> the reason why i'm laughing is because you're presenting it in this super calm manner and i can envision myself like, getting to the airport and my luggage being lost and the 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 new yorker and me coming out f-bombs everywhere just like and taking my stress level from zero to 100 in the blink of an eye so that's why i'm laughing understood the f-bombs jason they everyone spoke spanish they wouldn't understood the f-bombs so the funny thing is i was just like this sucks i, I must have repeated a hundred times this sucks but i'm in peru this sucks but i'm in peru <laughs> this sucks but i'm in peru i'm gonna go get cusco pizza i guess you gotta give yourself a, a mantra in that scenario and just hold to it and let it let, let life work itself out because it always does yeah yeah but that's um, that's basically like my mindset going into like the traveling and the logistics as well. But there's definitely a lot to plan because it's not like you get in your car and you go to the race. Like you have to figure out like where everything's going to go on the plane. And then you get there and it's like you got to rearrange everything for your kit now. Um, and it's just there's definitely planning for it, but it's nothing a good checklist can't solve. Um, so definitely still a, uh, a great experience and if you if stuff happens to you like it happened to me then it's just a great story to tell dumb decisions great stories exactly right 
it's exactly right. Tell a good story, man, or live a good story, I should say. Um, so and that, so you, that's part of my philosophy with racing too. Like people will always say, uh, ease into the race, ease into the race, right? Like you want to be conservative at the front and make sure that you can, you know, finish. And, and my philosophy has always been, I'm going to go hard. Like I'm here to race. I'm going to go hard. Okay. Knowing gas, no what's that? Oh, gas, no brakes. Gas, no brakes. There's a very good chance I'm going to fail. There's a very good chance I'm going to fail. But that's okay. Because for me, my story I'd rather tell is I went out as hard as I possibly could. And at mile 48, I blew up of mile, at a 50 mile race. As opposed to I ran conservatively, I finished conservatively, and I'm done. Like to me, that's not as good of a story. You know, but it goes back to again, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Race your race. Do the thing that you want to do. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. I just think that's so important as a message that we put out for everybody to pay attention to on their own. Yeah, it's your, Train. It's your journey, you know. Just live your, live your best story. So, so you plan the logistics. You obviously made it there and back because we're having a conversation now, so nothing happened, uh, <laughs> right? So, so when you get there, like – you're not racing immediately. You have uh, a handful of days and to, I'm assuming to get acclimated and to get prepared for the event before the event starts. Like walk us through that process. Yes, so we got to Kathmandu, uh, you know, stayed there for a day. And then immediately the day after we, the journey starts on a high note with the world's most dangerous airport in Lukla. <laughs> Um, which it's a very interesting experience because like you will get there for a flight at 7:30, and your flight cannot take off for four hours, five hours or six hours. Like our flight took off at 12:30, and there was still a 50, 50 chance it wouldn't take off because of the weather window. Um, and they had two buffer days for that. Thankfully we were able to take off on that day for what is the most turbulent flight flight I've ever been on also the shortest flight I think I've ever been on um, but yeah do they do they describe it as that welcome to the world's most dangerous airport yeah, yeah. I, I and, you know for me as somebody who worked in aviation my thing is marketing works um, <laughs> it's, it's really funny because like the plane is all turbulent and it's like going off and the pilot just like co-pilot just turns around to all of us and he's like <laughs> Thumbs up. And we're like thumbs up and back. Like in my head, I'm like, well, the pilot's not worried. Why should I be worried? You know? So, so you get in this plane and you can actually see the pilot and co-pilot. They're not behind a door. Nope. They're not behind the door. And the flight attendant actually does not let you film in the cockpit. And I think that probably has a lot to do with the fact that they have one rusty green first aid box and there. A lot of things seem pretty out, to, out of date. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like, whatever, the view's outside the window. I'm cool with that. <laughs> so how did you, how did that make you feel? Like, I don't know that I want to see the pilots, right? Like, fly the plane, do your job, you know, get me to my destination safely. I don't need to, I, I'm envisioning, like, if it's super turbulent, them panicking and looking at each other, like, what do we do? Like, I don't think I want to see that. So was your first, was your reaction, like, can we put up a curtain or something? Um, I think my reaction the whole, no, my, my reaction the whole time was cool pilots, but it was also like, um, 
It was also like, huh, well, you know, it's just an adventure start to an adventure. Um, also, one of my other side fleeting thoughts, if we're talking like darker thoughts, is like, man, this would be a sad way to end an amazing adventure. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely a lot of thoughts racing through your head when the plane is going up and down. But biggest one to me was like, I see the pilots, they're doing their job. If they're not worried, I don't know why I should be worried. That's cool. All right, so, so you're there, so you land, obviously. And you've got how many days before the race starts now? So we get to Lukla on the 17th of May. And Lukla is at approximately 9,000 feet. So you, we have a 12-day journey to get to Everest Base Camp. So you already have to, like, bring yourself into the mindset of, like, you can't even think, think about the race right now. Like, right now the goal, and this is something that um, a man named a man from the Netherlands named Garrett told me. Uh, Garrett's done the race twice. He didn't do it the third time, but he did do the three trips to base camp. Um, his thing was like, right now your goal just has to be making it day to day, and your focus has to be getting the base camp. So it was very wild in the sense that like normally you show up to these start lines like tapered and healthy and with a Nutella bag or however you start your day, you know. Um, and with this, it was like the trek is before that. So you can really had to like shift your mindset. So it was like, it was like two days of typically an average of two to three days of hiking and then one acclimatization day, which you would think would be a rest day, but it's really more of like stay in the same place and then do a hike to a higher place and then go back and sleep low. Interesting. Um, so there was plenty of that. Um, and we all did as a group so we built some i built some amazing camaraderie with like a bunch of people from around the world because i was i was one the only american in the group and two i was a runt of the litter by at least um one other person 33 but at least a decade otherwise see that's to me i think this is where our platform excels is because those are the stories of um the athletes that we want to tell and share is you know, if you're the youngest person by 10 years, right? So now we're talking 40 plus at this point. And your story, um, we just posted, uh, we'll be posting tomorrow, actually, on our site, is, help me pronounce his name, because I read it, but I don't remember, I don't know how to pronounce oh, his name. Takumi. Takumi. It, he was 63, I think you said? 68, and been running for over three decades, and he had done a 105K race just days before starting the trek. Yeah, that man is another planet. Yeah, and it's just amazing, right? And so here you are, a group of 19 people, ranging in ages from 30 to at least 68, hiking for two days, then you know getting adjusted to the climate and getting acclimated to the climate with a hike, nonetheless, right? Coming back down, sleeping, hiking two or three days, and so that's give or if if it took 12 days, what are we talking about? Give or take seven days total to get from. Um, where you landed to base camp then? Probably eight or nine days, eight. Uh, I would say. Uh, and there was a subtle difference. Um, so there were 18 of us total in the group, uh, maybe nine, it was 19. Um, we, we didn't lose anybody. <laughs> um, the, but uh, there was, um, there were four of us doing the ultra in that group. Um, and then there were two in the another group and there were people who trekked over from like various other like trekking companies um 
And so at some point when we were at the Sherpa capital, Namche, we split off the four of us with one Sherpa um, to go on our own way on the remote ultra route. So now there was only like four of us on this journey in one Sherpa and we had like a completely different experience from everyone else. Like it was hilarious. Like I can get into how hilarious it was, but the gist of it was when we met up, the marathon people were talking about luxury lodges and our <laughs> stories are about yaks falling off the mountain and <laughs> like um, a cow almost walking into the living room and like, <laughs> um just like basic amenities and like uh just remote areas and like we had a whole different adventure for those three days and when we met back up with them it was like you've seen some things man so the whole race in and of itself was 70k right the race itself was 70k and yeah so, and, and what was the longest distance between points that you were traveling because were, you were doing points and then sleeping and then doing another point right um so for the trek the longest distance between points i believe was like 13 14 kilometers something like that uh it was very the sherpa mantra was not too high not too fast so when we were climbing we were climbing very steadily um we were taking our time taking frequent breaks uh you also had to ask that to be constantly reminded like hey this is not the race like there's no reason to go fast the race is on the 29th you can save your gas from them like our uh, our sherpa leader uh we uh we call him raju um he was like the way he described it was battery have to keep fully charged until <laughs> the race i love it so again so you mentioned it earlier right taper wasn't a thing because if you're hiking give or take nine to ten miles you know every two days or every day essentially before you know you get there and it's eight days so did so if i'm doing the math correctly is that are you covering 80 miles before you even start to 70k then um just about yeah oh wow i didn't realize that dude yeah so that's what amounts to what um 130 miles total then between the two between the whole give or take pretty much yeah amazing so you finally get to base camp and the race is going, the race is going to start. How do you feel? Do you feel like I'm ready to race? Do you feel like let's continue this hiking concept? Because I love the camaraderie and the stories and everything that's happening. Like what's going through your mind? I think, I think I was just anxious to get started at that point because we've been thinking the last four or five days, you know, for the ultra, like we been talking to the organizers for the last four or five days and every single day they were like oh something else changed on the course something else changed on the course uh something else changed on the course why because it's the himalayas uh <laughs> and you know at that point like we had stayed two nights in this place called gorikshep which is believe it or not in nepalese um that's still called dead rat uh, because not, the legend is not even the rats survive up there um sure it's like a saloon town up there on a frozen sand lake and there's only like five houses up there <laughs> and so i had two sleepless nights in gorakshep and then we went to base camp felt miserable had two sleepless nights at base camp um not not saying that it wasn't an honor staying at base camp it was an honor but two sleepless nights at base camp um and then 2 30 in the morning wake up for a race call 3 a.m breakfast like 
same thing we've been having every day like this oat porridge but at that point it's like mm, hot porridge you know you Ooh, honey up for this event as you as you keep talking about it right <laughs> um and so the race starts at 5 a.m and so they walk us over to the start line which is at like the main formation of the kumbu glacier which is the hardest which is the hardest part of the Everest expedition is to climb over that glacier because it's very dangerous. Um, the entire base camp also sits on top of that glacier. So keep in mind, one of the reasons we're not sleeping is because you hear crackling and avalanches all night. Um, not to mention a rock almost hit our tent, which uh -huh. I, that's a whole nother thing. Um, so Yaks, uh, bovines entering the, the tent and now avalanches, yeah, dude. Yeah, that doesn't even scratch the surface level of the stories. Um, so before, so it, you go on, before you go on, yeah. so 3 a.m. oatmeal porridge, 5 a.m. race start. So you got two hours in between this time. As most ultra runners, we're looking for Porta Johns before this race event gets started. Like, I can't imagine that they dragged the Porta John mm. up to the base. So no. what there's, a, there's a hole. There's a hole you can use. And it's fantastic. <laughs> um, but as you know, like pooping in the woods is an ultra runner specialty. So pooping on a glacier can be an ultra runner specialty. <laughs> um, but yeah, Porto John, um, the rest of the time was just talking to the other runners. The rest of the time was just trying to stay warm because it was freezing cold. Hands are already starting to freeze. Um, so we walk, so like they walk all 19 of us over to that glacier to the start line. And you can tell which 11 of us are the international runners because we're like covered up and down. And then you can tell which eight of them are the Nepalese runners because they're wearing their shorts and walking over casually from the shirt. Like you can tell who's the Sherpa clan people um, who's ready to get like the sub nine hour. That's <laughs> um, and so what, what happens is like uh, they, the Sherpas will take like your puffy off you when you're ready to go. I decide for some dumb reason that I'm going to take mine off 15 minutes before. <laughs> youth. Longest 15 minutes of my life. That's, that's youth for you right there. Yeah, that, if it, that, I was, I'm a Californian boy. I'm not built for that. <laughs> if it was me, that I, I'd have had two puffies on because I just am always cold. So there's no way. So on the 70K, so on the ultra side of it all, are you going straight through on the 70K? Or are you again stopping at a camp and, and sleeping for the night before starting up again? Like, how does that work? We're going straight through. So it's, uh, there's essentially like a 24 hour hard cutoff that they have. Like they gave us some baselines for cutoffs, um, for where checkpoints are gonna be available and where they're not gonna be, like when they're gonna be taken down. But they, the race organizer basically said, doesn't matter which race you're doing, we're gonna wait for you in Namche for 24 hours. So starts at 5 a.m. They would wait for us till 5 a.m. the next morning. Thankfully, none of us had to go all the way through the night. So, um, uh, none of us had to go all the way through the night. So there's checkpoints every five to 10 kilometers that have a, like water, uh, they have like juice. Uh, which in Nepal, all the juice is hot juice, which started to really fascinate me. One of your favorites is their hot pineapple juice. 
I love apple juice. Just don't dip pizza in it. See, there's a that's a good point right there. You wouldn't dip a slice of pizza in pineapple juice. You wouldn't. That's not the same. <laughs> um, but they also had like muesli bars and just Snickers, which I ate so many Snickers. Um, but yeah, there was basically a continuous ultra and we just went all the way through. And for me and Takumi, like people in kind of the back of the pack, uh, I mean, we were out there, Takumi and I were out there for 18 hours. So, I mean, back of the pack, like at some point when you split off from the marathoners, there's only four of you. Like, so did you all stay together or were there Nepalese runners that were hauling ass? Like, like what was that they like all, now? The Nep Nepalese runners were all hauling ass. We, as soon as they left the camp, we never saw them again. <laughs> uh, they're, they're in another league. There's no comparison. Um, and the rest of us, like we all stayed together for a while through those early sections where it was very technical and hard to navigate. And did I mention that there were four yak caravans between um, Everest Base Camp and Gorakshep that we had to navigate on like loose rock? So, so, um, so it's this distinctive sound that you hear that gives me that, that lives in my nightmares and potentially my dreams now. Um, where you just hear the whistles of the shepherd and you hear like the thumping of the yaks and you just hear their bells. And every time you hear those bells and you see them in the distance, it's like it went from like, hmm, to like by the fourth one, you're like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, please make it stop. Um, but there were so many, uh, let's see, there were thankfully only a total of six yak caravans. Uh, I will say that when we were doing the trek, we saw over 20 of them and we got stuck behind one for 45 minutes and they were farting. <laughs> Cheryl has a question. How many yaks are actually in a, in a caravan, in a train? Six to seven from what I counted. Um, but I was more focused on the noises the shepherds were making. Like we started picking favorites and some of it was like throwing pebbles on the side. Some of it was whistling. Some of it was going, hoi, 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 you know, <laughs> but it was very entertaining. It was, it was a pastime. Like, this is an amazing experience, you know, and you're painting a great picture of it because I'm sure the audience can envision it as well. Um, envision so, my preparation? All of it. <laughs> skipped you know, whistles so the the nepalese runners are gone and then how many of you are, that you're calling back of the packers are there i would say about six of us and we were all kind of like back and forth back and forth it was like uh me takumi chow dang from china uh alex my friend alex from the uh, netherlands uh there's a a lady from Scotland, she took off at some point, total badass. I think she finished in 16 hours. Uh, there was one other, the other American, Patrick from Nevada, super badass too. I think he finished in 13 hours. He took off at some point. Um, and then it was just towards the end, it was, it was just me, Takumi, and Chow kind of just going like back and forth. And because they had like so many sections like change throughout like the days because of like unforeseen circumstances i'm talking like roadblocks which happened like due to construction i'm talking like weather all kinds of things um they gave us nepalese pacers after the 33 kilometer mark where we split off with the marathon people and i will say that i could not have finished the race without my pacer navraj um 
there was very heavy fog in the night and we could have easily gotten lost on those mountains. Um, so kudos to him for, for giving us an extra head and somebody who knew the lay of the land to help out. So, you know, here in the States, when you race on a trail, you got ribbons, you got flags to help with guidance and, and GPS watches that we use, we could download um, courses too and use that as a navigation tool. What was out there for you uh, on that course? Uh, so I had my Gaia GPS. Um, there were green flags, but they're very basic. And I will say, much to our disdain, even though the race organizer said they were reflective, this is not a knock on them, I will say they were not reflective. <laughs> um, so we couldn't see those green flags at night. Um, and it was also foggy. So we had to rely on having done the course in reverse to kind of figure out where we were at night in totally different conditions. And thankfully, me, Chow, and our pacers just kind of put it together and were able to make it from town to town. So you just said something and maybe I misunderstood. You said you did the, you're doing the course in reverse. So are you saying the, the trek from where the, it, where you landed at the airport up to base camp is the first direction and then you went from base camp basically to the airport was the event? Correct. And that was to help us like see the lay of the course and kind of like scope out the conditions, take photos, what we needed to figure out junctions. They hadn't, the thing is they hadn't marked the course until the day before. So there were no flags at that point. So you're just like looking at the course in reverse. Um, there's no markers. You're not in the race mindset, but I will say that that definitely helped a lot. And it also helped having our Sherpa kind of tell us like, well, Hey, if you get stuck behind the yak caravan, this is a shortcut you could take. This is a shortcut you could take. And I will say that I did use a couple of the shortcuts. Um, Nobody, it's very, it's a lawless land, Jason. Say that again? It's a lawless land, man. Yeah. Yeah, there's more than one way to skin a cat on this trail. Nobody cares about horse cutting in that scenario. Just get around, right? Yeah. And, and to answer your question, Adina, yeah, the Pacers were Sherpas and they were they they do this track like six, seven times every season, the spring season and the fall season. So they're like familiar with it. The funny thing is though, they were beat by the end because they're trekkers, they're not runners. So by the end, even they were gassed and they're like, why am I out here? No, I wouldn't, they had a good time with me, but I'm sure they were also like, I could be at home with my wife, have, wife having Darbath, but I'm out here with this stranger dude from America for 18 hours. <laughs> So is the is the course to help me understand a little bit. So is it, you know, up and down mountains through trails that have been paved by people trekking this the entire time? Is it sort of free trail where you're just making your way through? Then is it dirt, rocks, ice, snow? Like what what did you encounter? Um, all of those above, all of the above, dirt, rock, ice and snow. Lots of single track, some of the most beautiful single track I've ever seen. I mean, you're looking at like snow-capped Himalayan peaks everywhere. Um, and also a cliffside that goes down a thousand feet. Um, yeah, just, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, there was also, I think most of these big differences, like as far as like not single track and like wide open expanses was from the ultra course. Um, there were a lot of like, rocks i think i think probably similar to i wouldn't say people would be familiar with the dells here um you've done coca yeah 
um, very similar to the Dells. Um, lots of rocks, but there was also lots of streams. Um, just very like very terrain, and I would also I would say to describe it like ninety percent of the course was not runnable. Oh. There was like a good ten percent that was actually like. I can do a hundred meter jog. Oh my God, I'm out of breath. <laughs> so that's more elevation than, than the actual terrain then? Yeah, absolutely. Cause a lot of, even the climbs that we had to do like 80, 90% of the race kept us above 14,000 feet. So imagine being on a 14 or nonstop and doing this race. I mean, you sort of have a similar experience like that with pacing at the URA, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pacing at URA, I mean, that, that event is just hard for heart's sake. And this was hard for sake, too. Just up high constantly and, and climbing really rugged terrain. And so there you have the, the rocks that are the slick rocks that just slide down from underneath your feet as you're trying to, to cross over different paths on that course. So that's just tough. So there was very similar things to that in this course as well. Uh, I will say that there were some really good single track climbs. But there was also like a lot of unevenness. Um, it was just, man, you're gasping for air every 10, 15 seconds. I mean, those climbs are brutal. For those of you who have questions, please start popping them in there. We're going to get this wrapped up here fairly quickly. Um, but so you go through this process, you know, you, it's 80 to 90% unrunnable. You can barely breathe half the time. Tell me what it's like when you finally can sort of see the finish line or you know you're coming up on the finish line and then when you actually see it like what is that experience of like uh me and takumi were done by the end he even he was making like uh, exclamation noises like just like oh 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 and i started making noises too because my knees were killing me at that point my right knee was killing me because we're talking 8,000 feet of gain in this course but also 14,000 feet of down in this course Brutal so much down and like my knee was like please have mercy like it was done <laughs> um and so we're like power hiking and power hiking and then we see the lights of Namchain. we're like oh my god there it is like where's the stupa where's the stupa the stupa is like um like a formation uh prayer formation um in buddhist culture and it's like this big rock with like scripture written all over it and we knew that it was supposed to be there when you're supposed to turn and we're like where's the stupa where's the stupa and then we see it and you go to through town namche is like a town that has like a bunch of staircases going different places so me and takumi are disoriented and stumbling and our pacers like no this alley no that alley this alley <laughs> and then we like just it was very weird because we just like turned the corner turn left and people the local Sherpa locals are looking at us like we're the crazy ones. Yeah. Um, and also people are up and about. We thought it was for us at first, but we realized that May 29th is Everest Day. So they had nightclubs and everything popping, which there is a big nightclub scene, as I found out in Namche Bazaar. Um, and so we turn the corner, take a left, and then you see like the finish line just there. And we're like, it was very much like, oh, there it is. <laughs> And so Takumi turns to me, and this will be my core memory from this race. And he's like, finish together. And so I grab him by the shoulder, and he grabs me by the shoulder. And as we're coming into the finish line, I'm pretty sure his toe beat me by an inch. But I'm pretty sure, like, 
the organizer knew the intent. We both put our foot out at the same time and everyone was just cheering and it was just a really cool moment. And then we're sitting there with our certificates and the race organizer's like, I'm so happy with this group. I'm thinking about making a hundred K. And in my head, I'm like, get me my food, get me my bed. <laughs> I have people to talk to. I just want to eat. So for those of you who have been with us this entire time, thank you. But go to runtrymag.com tomorrow because Om um, tells the story of uh, being with Takame and, and what that really means. And you'll get additional insight into the experience that Om had out there um, doing this uh, 70K, which is just, dude, you've, you've painted just this phenomenal picture of endurance sports from a different perspective where in the U.S. we're accustomed to, for all intents and purposes, an Ironman, seeing the red carpet and seeing the, the banners and, and everything that goes with it at 100 miles, 100-mile uh, ultras that are a bit bigger than some of the smaller ones that we've seen. You have a lot of fanfare and a lot of different um, components to them. What you've painted is a picture that I think people should embrace, which is this was an event that had 19 people in it, Four of you did the ultra component of it while the others did the marathon component of it. You crossed the finish line after 18 hours, um, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm with a 68 year old Japanese ultra runner, um, who I'm sure there were language barriers, right? But you but had a beer. There was language barriers. By the way, he, the first thing he did afterwards was have a beer. So I just want people who are listening to this or watching it on our YouTube channel to realize that there is no one perfect way that an endurance sport event takes place or what gets constituted as an endurance sports event. So Ohm went to Nepal and he raced 70K. If for you, it's going down the street and running the local church 5K, so be it. Embrace it, enjoy it, love it, talk about it, share it with your friends and family because you've accomplished something that is extraordinary. And I, and I hope that message comes across. And Om, you've done a great job in, in being able to paint a picture of what endurance sports events can look like from a completely different perspective. And I hope people are willing to take the risk that you took and go outside of their comfort zone to go and enjoy something else. And can, Before we can, I, just, uh, can I just add to that yeah. too and say that you and I both have very similar stories of how we started. And there was a point where for both of us the 5k was our Everest you know yeah um, like I remember having nerves before my 5k race there were only 10 people in that race the local race in Long Beach you know um, and so it's all relative like you can the way I feel proud about this event like you like you know if you are just starting to run and you do something like a 5k having like not run before or something like that or you're just making a comeback or whatever it is you're doing whatever your journey is like celebrate it you know like throw it on the fridge you know like have a party with your family and friends you know like that's it's just everyone's journey is amazing so before we get off i'm going to ask you to give us one thing that you feel has that has has changed in you from this event um, just 
my gratitude for this little, little things. And I think we get that from every single ultra. Yeah, Adina's right, celebrate everything. Um, but, you know, I took pictures of like the tomato soup that we had. I took pictures of like the rice and, you know, the darbat that we had. I took pictures of like where I was standing and somebody else might look at the same picture and go, just tomato soup out of a bowl. And for me, like that tomato soup was the best thing in the world. And what that taught me is that everything is all just your perspective. Like, you know, how many things do we have here in like our Western society that we just take for granted? Water from a tap, you know, electricity, uh, a simple like three square warm meals, you know, like you're allowed to have gratitude for those things. It's cool to have gratitude for those things and just realize that those things aren't like given their privileges, you know, and just enjoy them. And I promise you the more gratitude you have for things around you, the happier you'll be. Well said. Appreciate your time again, man. I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow and we're going to talk nothing but business tomorrow. It's It'll be, it'll yeah, be, I think we can come up with business ideas on this chat too. Yeah, we did. Um, you, you wrote that down, by the way, right? That? You wrote that down, by the way, right? The running resume, because that's a really good idea. Yeah, we got to do that, the running resume. All right, man. Appreciate you. Talk, talk, talk. Thanks. Talk everybody. to you tomorrow, man. Bye. Thanks, Jason.